welcome to the His Hill Podcast. My name is Kelly Doherty, and today I'm doing things a little different. I am joined by my wife, Arlene, who will be helping me conduct the interview. Say hi, Arlene. <laughs> hi, Arlene. Oh. <laughs> hi. Okay, everybody that knows Arlene knows that's par for the course, but we got it out of the way, right? <laughs> okay. <laughs> Okay, before we uh, introduce our guest to you, I want to uh, remind you to please subscribe to the podcast and rank us and leave a review if you don't mind. That would help us out a lot. Uh, Okay, so we have 45 years of alumni at His Hill, and they're from all over the world. If you listened to last week's podcast, you know that we talked with James and and Amy Wallace from Australia, and this week we're going to talk with Melissa Friesen, who lives in Haiti, where she works with Chosen and Cherished Ministries. And she was an alumni with us in 1999. So uh, we're really uh, excited to, to sit down and visit with her. Uh, she uh, spent time with us personally as a student, and uh, there was always lots of laughing. Uh, that's because <laughs> Melissa and Arlene laugh a lot. So anyway, hi, Melissa. How are you? I'm good. How are you guys doing? We're doing well. We're doing yeah. good. Yeah, we, we just love that we can see your face and talk. And we're so excited. Life incredible. Yeah. It is. It's good to see you. Um, now, we've had a great visit already, uh, just uh, catching up uh, before we started the recording. And we've had, you know, typical funny things happen, but, uh, you know, like having to call several times to get the connection <laughs> decent. And then Arlene's microphone, f- uh, the whole the whole arm, the whole boom arm <laughs> fell over, and it's uh, it, it's it's been a an, yeah an, an interesting warm up. But anyway, it's been really good talking with you and getting to know you. Um, listen, we want what we want to do is just give you some time, and we'll try not to talk over you. It's it's kind of diff- our connection is requiring that just one person talk at a time today. So uh, Melissa, what we're going to do is just give you some time. And start off with you just just giving us your testimony, how you came to know Jesus, and um, and then we'll we'll ask you some questions from there. So go right ahead. Okay. Well, first of all, thank you so much for having me. I yeah, I feel very very honored and yeah, just humbled to have this opportunity. So thank you. Um. So I do feel very blessed that I was able to. Um, just have grown up in just an incredibly loving and um, just God-fearing home and, you know, just grandparents and parents who love Jesus so much. And um, yeah, my parents were always involved in the church and just always pointed us kids to him. And so I do not take that for granted. I'm sure I did at the time, (laughs) but yeah, it's been just incredible just to have that, that experience growing up and, yeah, just very good memories of church and Sunday school and Bible camp and all of those things, youth group as as I got older. Um, yeah, just very thankful for those opportunities. I know that that, yeah, I think just as I get older, I realize that that's not the typical experience. And so I'm very thankful to have had that. Um, I do, yeah, I do clearly remember at Bible camp as an eight-year-old, you know, just talking to my counselor and asking if she would be willing to pray with me. And I wanted to ask you into my heart. And so I do, yeah, very clearly remember that. Um, 
Then at the age of 16, I made the decision to get baptized and just make that public declaration. And I do remember just feeling very passionate at the time and just really wanting to um, just to serve Jesus. And um, unfortunately, I would say by the time I graduated from high school, I um, definitely was lacking passion. And I feel like my spiritual life was probably quite dry at that point. And um, just, yeah, wanting to be done high school. And um, so, yeah, but, um, yeah, I do feel very thankful just to have had that um, experience growing up. So, Okay, good. So how did you come to His Hill? You and I have a really fun story about how we first (laughs) met, but I want to hear before we met. (laughs) Yeah. So, yeah, like I said, I, by the time I graduated high school, um, yeah, just kind of lacking passion and just, um, like I said, just so desperately just wanting to be done with school and, (laughs) um, yeah, like some of my friends and peers were just, high school was just kind of the means to get to, (laughs) to further education and I was not in that boat, um, and, um, yeah, just so done with school, but um, I did I did really like the idea of attending a Bible school. Um, however, I did not want anything. Yeah, that was just going to be super academic or um, you know scary. Yeah, just like theolog- theological and just requiring you know a lot of studying and <laughs> all that kind of stuff. Let's be honest. <laughs> done with um, school. <laughs> Um, so I did know of several people that had attended Tapenary Harbor in British Columbia mm-hmm. and had, yeah, just nothing but good things to say about their experience. And, um, and I had heard of Cape school that had some older cousins who had attended as well. And, um, so it was, was a familiar, um, thing in my mind, although I didn't know obviously everything about it. And so, um, I did start looking into different possibilities and, one thing I knew for sure was that I wanted to um, expand outside of Canada, but maybe not quite <laughs> adventurous enough to try Europe or anything like that. And um, I had always wanted to go to Texas. And so, yeah, <laughs> that suddenly became just a very, um, just a very easy decision. And so I ended up talking with my friend Lisa and we decided that we would go together and our friend Lori joined in as well. And so then I took that year after high school just to work and um, earn some money and then made plans to attend his hill that fall. And so, yes. yeah, as you said, we cannot go without talking about how physically. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'll, I'm going to, I'm going to interject because um, when I, you. I'm just going to go get something to eat. Right now. <laughs> Go ahead. Just let you guys, yeah, yeah. (laughs) Well, I was just up at the hill. I was at the rock house. And I don't know where our children were. I they were somewhere, and but they were not anywhere with me. And um, so, so I was up at the rock house, and they said, "Well, the new students are coming." The new students were coming in that day, so there were a lot of runs to San Antonio and different places. And then someone said, "We need somebody to go pick up down in town from a bus." A, a bus pickup down by Double D's, and I just said I'll go, and um, and I never picked anybody up like that. that you, and I never did after that. 
you were the only <laughs> people that I ever picked up. And so I got wow. the car and I, yeah, pretty, pretty exciting. And so I drove down yeah. to Double D's and there you and Lisa were at the side of the road, right off of 27, right outside of Dumpy Double D's. And um, <laughs> I was just, hi, you know, we went to Dairy Queen, but Later, you had a, to tell me uh, a little bit more information. So why don't you tell us all? <laughs> oh, You'd had ow. quite an eventful um, trip down on a bus. Yes. Yes. And then you got so, to comfort. <laughs> and we're a little disillusioned. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I said I didn't want to go to Europe because, you know, maybe too much culture shock, but <laughs> let me tell you. <laughs> so you come to comfort and you have a little of your own until you saw my <laughs> shoes. <laughs> Do you remember yes. that? Your shoes? My shoes. You told me, <laughs> you, <laughs> what you told me was... I knew it was all going to be okay when I looked at your shoes because they just looked, they just looked normal. And we were laughing about it with Charlie and Patsy last night. And Charlie said, what is it with women and shoes? <laughs> they tell a lot. Yeah, definitely. Well, yeah. I mean, we had just finished being grilled by the bearded lady. So I. <laughs> oh, that's right. The bearded lady. Oh, bless your heart. So anyway, we had we yeah. were in we did ensemble together. It was such a great year. So definitely, um, yeah. I so guess I probably should be quiet the now. <laughs> the rest is history. Yeah, yes. the rest is history. Yeah, we're Arlene for some reason is insisting on talking over Melissa, but <laughs> Well, I talk but just so everybody. everybody knows, they're looking at each other on FaceTime and grinning and laughing the whole time. It's the best. Okay, I'm going to jump back in and try to bring some civility to the conversation. Okay, so, Melissa, you uh, you showed up at his hill. Arlene picked you up, and uh, that was a, a day that will go down in infamy. Um, now, t- tell us just about your year at his hill. What uh, What are your memories? So, yeah, as I think I told you, Kelly, in one of our messages as we have been chatting in the last couple, um, that definitely goes down as one of the best years of my life. And, um, yeah, just so many amazing memories, so many good friendships made with people from all over the world and um, people that I'm still in contact with to this day, which is, yeah, it's pretty special. And obviously, you guys played a huge role just in that year for me and, um as you mentioned, Arlene, just with ensemble and getting to spend time with that group and with you guys in your home and practices and the trips that we took and um, the mission trips to Mexico. Um, those definitely stand out in my mind. And um, yeah, just so just so much fun and so much um, learning and, and all of that. But um, yeah, ultimately... I think that that, yeah, that year was just so pivotal for me in my spiritual life. And, um, well, yeah, I would say that I have known Jesus all my life. I would definitely say that I knew more about him and didn't actually know him and that I didn't realize that until, you know, until his bill and just, you know, the, the staff and the teachers and the guest speakers and just 
um, just so much pointing us to Jesus, how he is our life. And that was, yeah, that was absolutely just a world changer for me. And um, I, yeah, I would definitely say that up until that point, you know, I knew that I was saved and that meant I was going to heaven one day. And in the meantime, you know, you try to do your best and you try hard and you, um, and I, yeah, I just came to realize that that, yeah, there's just so much more and that he truly is, is our life and he is life. And that's just been, yeah, that's just truly changed just how I view, how I view him. And, you know, even, even now, um, yeah, just so many situations. It's not that he just gives us peace. He is our peace. Mm. Or he, mm. if he, I don't just ask him for wisdom. Like he is wisdom. And that's just incredible, you know, to be able to, um, yeah, he's so real and he's alive and it's incredible. So, <laughs> oh, amen. Yeah, that, uh, that's just so exciting to hear. You know, you, you teach for years and years and you always wonder, you know, do, uh, do they hear what we're saying? Um, hmm. And and when we hear from alumni and they can so so clearly and beautifully articulate what you just mm-hmm. did, it, it, hmm. it you don't know how how exciting that is for us as as staff to hear. So praise God hmm. for that. We we really appreciate you sharing that. Yeah. Um, okay, now uh, that was in 1999. What year? Hmm. What year did you move to Haiti? So I I had done several short-term trips to Haiti starting in 2006. And then in 2009, I came on a six-month commitment. Um, and so then my time was up in December of 2009. But at that point, I had been approached about a full-time position. And um, I very much wanted to take it. But I knew that, you know, I couldn't just make it on an emotional whim just because I wasn't ready to leave and my time was up and obviously things were, um, you know, just kind of emotions were high and stuff. And so I knew that I needed to go back home to Canada as, as planned and um, just pray about it and just be in a more neutral place and, and, you know, make my decision. And then the earthquake of 2010 happened on January 12th. And that was um, so, so I'm going to go back to January 11th and that was the day where I had decided, yes, I was going to take that full-time position. I was in contact with the, um, the organization down here and we made plans for me to come, to come back and everything. And the next day, um, the earthquake hit. And so of course, yeah, that was just an incredibly hard day because, I didn't know, yeah, I didn't know what was happening. I didn't know, I, thankfully I was able to get in touch with people down here very quickly, you know, just confirming that they were all okay. But then obviously things were up in the air in terms of whether, would I still be going back? Would they still need me? Um, Obviously a lot of things were changing, things were different. And, um, and so then um, I was in contact with the director of the organization that I was going to. And they said, we are, we have, yeah, all flights, all commercial flights were suspended and everything, but they had a private um, humanitarian flight that was going to be flying in at the end of that week and whether I could meet them in Miami to fly in with them. 
And so suddenly <laughs> I had to, yeah, say all my goodbyes, basically pack up everything. And, um, you know, I was moving back, which I knew I was going to, but I thought that I would have a little bit more time to kind of just prepare and get things in order. So within a couple of days, I was saying all my goodbyes and yeah, just, yeah, that was the rest is history, I guess. So yeah, so in order to answer your question, yeah, it would be since, I mean, technically since June of 2009, okay. since I had been there, yeah, for those six months, so. And what ministry was it that you originally were with? So I was with, um, it was called God Little Little Angels, which was an orphanage um, here in Haiti, and so they, um they had kind of two aspects of their of their ministry. So they had they would process adoptions, so children that were um, were there to be adopted, as well as children for assistance. And so whether the baby that was just very sick, and um, the um, we had a, a very um, very capable intensive care unit. In fact, there was actually hospitals that would send babies to us because. Uh, because the level of care that we were able to provide. And so, uh, yes, they would have these babies that were, the plan was for them to be, you know, to go back to their families once they were healthier, or maybe a family just was a hard spot. And so they needed a place for their baby, you know, to be for a little while until they were able to kind of get back on their feet. Um, But then, like I said, we did have the children that were for adoption, and so that ended up being my, the work that I was directly involved in. So I was the adoption coordinator there um, for what ended up becoming eight years. And so I would work very, yeah, very closely with the children's files and just making sure all the paperwork was in order and working with Haitian social services just to make sure that we were providing everything that was, you know, necessary and still for, for the child. And then as well as with the families from various countries that were adopting. So... Well, and so this actually makes me think about Christina, hmm. because that was your story too. You were part of the those parents. <laughs> yeah, yeah, tell us yeah. about that. Yeah, tell us about that. So, um, yeah, so obviously working there and you know seeing many different children and babies come through. Um, obviously, there were so many, right? Mm-hmm. And. Um, so people have asked me what made Christina different or how did that come to be? And so, um, so I was, so it was a time where the director was out of country and, um, and so this organization down in city Soleil, which is the biggest slum here in Port-au-Prince, um, they called me, they must have had my number kind of as a backup and they said, we have this little, this little eight-day-old baby who is um, she she's very sick um, and we cannot care for her. She's not going to survive, and we need we need a place for for her to be cared for. And so I said, "Hey, let me just talk to our nurses and talk to um, some people here, and I'm going to get back to you." So I hang up the phone. And I talk to our nurses, I say, this is a situation. Do we have an incubator available for this baby? Um, you know, just making sure that we're able to to receive her and talk to a few of the other people. And ultimately, I made the decision that, yes, we would take her. So 
I called them back and I said, um, yeah, we'll, we'll take her, bring her up. We'll be waiting for her. And so, um, yeah, I clearly remember <laughs> just standing there that day, just waiting for them to arrive. And, um, yeah, I think just feeling kind of responsible, like, okay, like I've agreed that we're going to take this baby. And so, um, <clears throat> so they arrived and yeah, sure enough, is in very very bad shape and so she's whisked up to the to the NICU and they place her on all kinds of monitors and everything and we come to realize that she has internal bleeding and just um yeah just very um she was barely three pounds and um so yeah so they got to work on her immediately and yeah I just remember going going home that night and just wondering like all night, like whether she made it through the night and just kind of, you know, first thing that morning when I got there, like I raced up there and, huh, she's still alive. She made it through the night. And, um, and so I just remember, yeah, like just really rooting for her and just, um, praying over her incubator. And, Mm. um, yeah, I just felt this. Yeah. Like I, like I mentioned, I think that I just felt responsible for her because I had said that we would take her and, um, Yeah, like I said, there's so many other babies that had come through, but I just didn't have that same connection to them. And um, and so I'm she, you know, she got stronger and stronger, and eventually was able to, you know, one monitor could come off, and um, and I just, yeah, I'll never remember the day that they said she could come out of the incubator. And so mm-hmm. I, yeah, I went and picked her up, and just kind of, yeah, I was able to hold her and. Um, yeah, she was a fighter and she, you know, she literally fought to survive. And mm, wow. and so as time came, I just, yeah, we spent more and more time with her. And, um, and so when she turned a year old, um, so in the meantime, um, there was, we tried to get in touch with her caregivers and her family and there was just no success and, and, and just finding any of them. And so when she turned a year old, um, she was going to be officially declared abandoned. And that was the time when her, when I would literally have to prepare her file and put it into, um, to be matched to an adoptive family. And I, that was the point where I said, <laughs> I don't know that I can, I can physically prepare these papers. And um, yeah. And so I started praying about it and I actually had a trip planned to go home to see my family right around that time. So I spoke with all of them individually, with my parents and my siblings, and I just said, you know, I feel, and obviously they had all heard about Christian already for so long, and I just said, I just really feel like, yeah, that I want to adopt her and, and that God is kind of placing us together. And so they all very much gave their blessing and, mm. um, and so then I came back to Haiti and I, I approached the director of the orphanage and I just basically asked for, for permission to be able to adopt this little girl. And she, yeah, she was totally on board with it. And so then I started, yeah, I started working on the first step that I needed to do was be able to get legal guardianship of her so that she could come and live with me. And so then right after she turned two years old, I received that document. And so then, yeah, I was able to (laughs) just take her, you know, even though I spent a lot of time with her, she was still under the care of, you know, the nannies and the the nurses and stuff. And I was able to, yeah, the night before, just, yeah, prepared her bed and (laughs) just got everything all right. Wow. Yeah. 
That is so neat. That is. That's an incredible story. And how old is she now? So now she's eight years old. Okay. Wow. Yeah. And so, yeah. So Mm, the Lord is good. He put you with the right little girl. That's so special. Yeah. We, we love seeing all the posts and the pictures. Mm -hmm. She seems to just be such a happy child and, and a very, she looks like she's a very fun child too. Uh, but but you guys just look so happy together, and we just you know praise the Lord for what He did there. That's really neat. So that that brings yeah. me to a question because it, uh, it's an interesting situation that you're in. You know, Haiti is the the, the poorest nation in the Western Hemisphere, and uh, and and it can be it can be kind of rough too. And I'm just wondering what what has the Lord done in your life as a as a single mom on the mission field. Hmm. Yeah. <laughs> Loaded <It is>. question. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. There are things that I never imagined <laughs> I would do. Changing, you know, changing air filters on my generator. And <laughs> oh, um, man. But, yeah. Um, but, yeah, don't ask me to get the frog out of the, <laughs> out of the bathtub. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. Uh, you... <laughs> You told us an interesting story of, uh, you know, how, you know, how it's, it, it can be dangerous, how it can be scary at times. And if, if you're comfortable with sharing that with the listeners, uh, you know, go ahead and do that. Yeah, definitely. So, um, yeah, there are, there are dangers that we do face here for sure. And, um, yeah, unfortunately we had a very scary situation that happened, um, years ago where um, the property that I was living on at the time was not protected um, by by security or anything like that. And um, so the property was actually breached by by armed individuals. And, um, and unfortunately, the house that I lived in with my two, my two roommates and co-workers was kind of the first house that they must have come across that they realized was was not maybe quite as the others and they were able to to breach our home and yeah we were we were robbed at gunpoint and there was probably seven or eight um armed armed men in the home and they yeah just ransacked everything and demanded our our money and our electronics and everything and um yeah I do I know that at the moment I was it was yeah, you're just acting kind of out of shock and just not even believing that this is really happening. And, um, but yeah, I've definitely dealt with a lot of post-traumatic, um, Mm -hmm. yeah, just stress from that situation, you know, like there's times where I'm totally fine. And the next time, you know, I hear a noise and I, I'm just so jumpy because I don't, yeah. Um, but thankfully, yeah, God had his incredible hand of protection on us in that night. And, I know that things could have gone a lot worse and they didn't. And, you know, in the end we lost money and electronics and that is all, yeah, there is, you know, we were not harmed or anything. And that is, I know for a fact that that is often not the case in those situations here. So I know that God very much protects that night. So, um, and yeah, there's other times when there's political unrest and, you know, people are protesting in the streets and, you know, and there's thankfully there's often times where we're aware that those things are happening. So we can either stay home or we can avoid, you know, those areas. And 
and often we're able to go about our our day as normal. Um, mm. There was yeah, there was a situation um, a couple of years ago where something just totally erupted unexpectedly during the day, and so Christina was at school, and I, uh, you know, I just thought, okay, like I'll just it'll fizzle out, you know, by the time I need to go pick her up. But it actually turned out to be intensifying, and um, and so I knew. So yeah, I knew that the road was blocked between my house and the school. Um, but it came to a point where you know I had heard and kind of like was talking to different people, and okay, it sounds like it's clear now. I'm gonna kind of make a run for it, and so I get in my vehicle and I go and. Um, Turns out that literally, like within those few minutes, things had kind of picked up again, and um, there was people literally throwing rocks, and the road mm. was blocked. Wow! Um, you know, people were threatening me to get off the road. Like, why am I out here driving? And so, um, I was so close to the school, and I had to turn around and go back home. And I just, <laughs> my heart just dropped. Like, I'm oh. driving home with my daughter, and and I don't know, you know, like how I'm going to get her and. And I thought, okay, for sure, you know, give it a couple more hours, things will calm down. And um, that didn't happen. And so it came to the point where it was getting dark and I knew that I couldn't, I wouldn't be able to get her home. And thankfully, I had some friends that lived close enough to the school where they were able to go get her and she was able to stay the night with them. And I mean, bless her heart, you know, she's a child in her mind, she's getting to have an unexpected sleepover. Yeah. <laughs> well, that's fun. <laughs> Meanwhile, I'm sitting at home, you know, just like I wasn't able to go bring her home and that just felt so helpless. But again, yeah, God just protected us and I was able to go get her the next day. And so, yeah, there are situations like that that we face. And um, but God is just, yeah, he's so good to us. And, you know, yeah, in those specific situations, I just see how his hand of protection was over us so clearly. And um, I'm sure there's times when I'm not even aware, you know, that he, he protected us from certain things or just, yeah. You know, Melissa, when I think back over your time at his Hill and Arlene and I both, you know, really appreciated you and thought the world of you, but mm-hmm. I never thought of you as being a tough person. Uh, you know, not, not, not a weak person at all either, but I, you know, I never thought of you being somebody, you know, in, in, in the middle of, you know, armed robberies and, uh, and protests. And, uh, so when I look at you as you're talking about these things, you know, I, I'm just reminded of, you know, the faithfulness of God and, hmm. and his enabling, you know, through Jesus and that, that, you know, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. And of mm. course, the context of that is, is being able to, to, you know, Paul's telling us, I can live with a little, I can live with a lot, but still the same, the same principle though, that I can do, uh, in, in Christ, he's my enabler. And I think what an incredible testimony that is, because, you know, we know you from years back and know that, you know, you're not, you, you know, you're not this, and don't take it wrong. You're not this superwoman, you know, but stronger than me, but oh yeah, <laughs> but and that's what I mean. You know, I, I mean, you know, I don't want people to think, you know, that, that Melissa's this, we thought of her as this weakling because we never did. But, uh, but to see you, you know, go to Haiti and, and to face these things and then just say, but God took care of us. You know, God was, hmm. God was faithful is really 
very encouraging. And I, and I hope it encourages our listeners, too, that whatever we're facing, to remember that you know, Colossians says all that, that in Christ we find all of God. And, and hmm. in him we have been made complete, and Christ is the head of all rule and authority. He's in charge. He has this, you know, whatever we're going through. And so, yeah, I appreciate, you know, you sharing that with us. You, you talked about political unrest sometimes, and, and you guys have had a couple of big events happen just recently, one of them being the assassination of, of the president of Haiti. Uh, and that happened, was it just in July, was it? Um, yeah. Yeah. Uh, how, how, yeah was that, how has that affected the, uh, the country, and has it affected the, your ministry at all? Yeah, so... Yeah, that was definitely news to wake up to that morning. And um, so, yeah, the first thing you think of, just because there has been just so much political unrest in the last few years specifically, is that things are just going to absolutely explode. And um, that day in itself was eerily quiet. (laughs) Um, Mm. There was no traffic, no motorcycles out on the road, which is just, yeah, normal you know, so loud, everybody's out and about. And um, so it was a very eerie day <laughs> just mm. because like, it's, it's so quiet. And, um, and then in the days following, you know, there's just this anticipation that things are just going to explode and you just wonder like what's going to happen. And, um, and it's just really bizarre because nothing really has. And so mm. it's now, you know, it's now almost two months later and it's almost like we're still kind of <laughs> just holding our breath. Like why has nothing really mm. erupted? So it's just a, mm. been a really bizarre thing at the same time, obviously. Yeah. I'm so thankful that we have been able to just kind of carry on with our lives. And um, yeah, obviously, you know, the first few weeks we just did stay very close to home because you just never really know, um, you know, what can happen, but yeah, schools are starting and, um, I know that they, yeah, there were supposed to be elections in the fall, but I, I don't know now whether that's going to be postponed, um, just because, you know, of the recent, um, earthquake and, you know, there's a lot of kind of going on, but, um, yeah, it's just been really bizarre okay. <laughs> since that day. Yeah. Um, Wow. Yeah, and then with uh, with that, you, like you just said too, you know, so big things have happened in the country the last couple of months. You know, the president's been assassinated, but also the earthquake, which was I think seven point two on the Richter scale, is a pretty big earthquake. Now, yeah, you you were far away from the the center of it, but you said you did feel the effects of it. What was yeah? You know, what's going on there with that? Yeah, so it was, yeah, it was a Saturday morning. I, you know, there's no school, so it's just a quieter morning for us here at home. And um, Christina was sleeping in, and I was enjoying, you know, just some quiet moments before the day starts. And I'm sitting and drinking my coffee and, you know, having some devotion time and just enjoying the quietness of the morning. And, um, and, Suddenly, my my chair was shaking, and I just thought, first of all, okay, this is just in my head. I'm just imagining this, and then it wouldn't stop. And so, in my mind, I thought, okay, Christina woke up. She snuck up behind me, like she's <laughs> shaking my chair. So I call her name. She doesn't answer. And then, um, so I have my coffee mugs are hanging on hooks 
um, on the wall and they all started just crashing together. And so then in that moment, I exactly what was happening. Um, and so, yeah, obviously my first thought was we have to get out of the house, which I, you're not technically supposed to do, but <laughs> I don't know. And that, that was what I felt we needed to do. And so, um, I raced up the stairs and I'm yelling Christina's name. And at the same time, she had woken up because she thought I was shaking her bed. <laughs> oh boy. Wow. And so, um, yeah, I had not unlocked the house yet. And as I described to you guys earlier, like our house is full of iron bars and padlocks. And so I have several locks that I have to undo and padlocks. And um, crazy thing is my padlock had been giving me issues for a while, but I, I learned to deal with it. And so in that moment, I'm fighting with the padlock. And, mm. um, and yeah, just adrenaline, you know, has taken over and, um, my guard is standing outside yelling my name and I'm just like, I'm trying, <laughs> I'm trying to get it. Yeah. And of course, by that time it had actually all stopped, but you know, you're yeah. In that moment, my only concern was getting us out of the house. Um, and so because, yeah, because we did feel it so strongly, like you never know. Yeah. The first thing you do is check the, you know, check the earthquake app and see where did this actually hit because it was, you know, because we did feel it, I knew that it was, yeah, probably not something that just happened underwater off the coast or, you know, so, mm. yeah. So then we did, you know, start checking, checking the news and starting to realize where it had happened. And it was, yeah, about 200 kilometers away. Um, and mm. so, yeah, then kind of the rest of the day was just kind of watching, watching the news and just watching updates from different missionaries and organizations here just kind of seeing what the damage was so yeah there was no damage in our area whatsoever but mm. yeah, obviously the, the impact was huge so yeah well um now if anybody wanted to to send some kind of aid or help out in any way uh, you, you told us earlier that you maybe had a couple of places you could suggest what what are those yeah, so I think, yeah, I think the most important thing for people to consider when wanting to um, to help or, you know, to send donations is um, just, yeah, to find organizations that are already established here on the ground and that, you know, already have connections that are able to, to utilize the funds right away and it's not necessarily um, to some large, you know, organization that's not even established here. And so knowing that the funds are being used um, and that people can even, you know, purchase things here in Haiti if needed. And um, so, yeah, so organizations that um, that we would recommend, um, there is an organization called Hope for Haiti, and they are actually established in Lake High, where the epicenter was. They've been there for over 32 years. And so they're, you know, they have strong connections already with the community. Um, and yeah, maybe these are things that we can link, you know, later on to, so that listeners can, um, to find, find these, okay. these organizations. But yeah, Hope for Haiti, um, Missionary Flights International would be another one that I would strongly recommend. And they are just organization their um kind of their motto is that they stand in the gap for missionaries and so um they're actually the ones we have a mail service through them so if anybody 
you know, if we ever receive mail or if we order things, they fly into Haiti several times a week. And so I know that right now they are flying in a lot of supplies. And so just donating to them in order to keep their aircraft functioning. And um, mm. and then one other one that I would really recommend and that I just think an incredible organization is called World Central Kitchen. And I just recently heard about them, um, but they just do incredible work and they go basically to where um, where there's a need and they they just make mass amounts of food that they're able to distribute. I know that they're even in Louisiana right now after mm-hmm. the earthquake. And, mm-hmm. um, they're, you know, I know that they are serving food to refugees from Afghanistan and they're mm-hmm. obviously, they have presence here in Haiti right now. So, um, yeah, so I think just, Finding organizations like that that are already established and and supporting those is is huge, I think, in a time like this. So, okay, so that was three organizations: Hope for Haiti, Missionary Life for Internationals, and World Central Kitchen, right? Missionary Flights International. Okay, Missionary Flights. Okay, so we'll uh, my fault. Yeah, we'll put that. Yeah, Arlene's (laughs) fault. We'll put that. We'll put that up on the uh, on Instagram, and then also uh, I'll have um, I'll, I'll have the uh, guys in the office put that on the the Facebook um, announcements as well. So I appreciate that. Okay, so now before we talk about the new ministry that you're involved in, uh, uh, with regards to the the orphanage and and talking about your adoption too, do you have a con- any contact number or person that um, if any of our listeners or anybody they know are interested in adoptions, who would they contact? Yeah, so um, I think that the... Yeah, I think that the most important thing would be to contact um, just a trusted adoption agency in your state or your province. And I know that... um, Yeah, I know that there's many good ones out there, and I think that then they are able to you know, to tell you what the current policies are for Haiti and just the certain requirements and to see if, yeah, if a certain family, you know, falls under, under the requirements or the, um, yeah, the, sorry. Um, yeah. So the agencies are best, best able to, yeah, to give you the, the current information on Haiti. Um, and, yeah, obviously, I love adoption. I'm very passionate about it, and I truly believe that every child deserves a loving family. Um, and I think, yeah, I think it's very important to keep in mind too that adoption, it although it is beautiful, it also stems from loss, right? Because either a child has, you know, parents have died, or a child has been abandoned, or you know, there's been abuse, or whatever the case is a child is being adopted because of some type of loss. And I think that, um, yeah, it's, it's not for the faint of heart. (laughs) And I, yeah, you know, I think it's very important, obviously, if somebody is considering adoption, just to put a lot of, a lot of prayer into it and a lot of thought. And, um, like I said, it is obviously a beautiful thing, um, but it's not easy. Right. And I know, especially with international adoption, there's the waiting is long and, you know, there's, there's lots of paperwork that has to has to happen, and um, so those would just be not like you asked, but <laughs> just some some advice that I would give, I guess, mm-hmm. for people that 
considering adoption. Okay. Well, thank you. Appreciate it. Speaking of the waiting, is it taking longer than normal to adopt uh, through this whole COVID situation, or is that not making any difference? Um, and, yeah, because I'm not directly involved in that line of work anymore, but I, um, I know that there was, yeah, there probably was a time where things were maybe not running quite at full capacity, but from my understanding, things are moving along now, which is very encouraging. I know of, yeah, I know of families that have been able to bring their, their kids home recently or files that aren't moving. So, yeah, it is moving just, yeah, as all things in Haiti, <laughs> everything moves very slowly. So Yeah, okay, I good. imagine. Okay, so now in the time that we have left, talk to us a little bit about, uh, just explain what Chosen and Cherished Ministries is and what your responsibilities are with it. Okay, so um, yeah, and this is obviously obviously why I'm here right now, and you know what my where my passion lies. And um, so, as I had mentioned, I was working with God's Little Angels, which was an orphanage that um, took in kids both for assistance and for adoption. Um, and so during my time there, we had become aware of um, this other orphanage up the mountain from us that we had actually met um, some people who were very actively involved in trying to get this orphanage shut down just because of known um, abuse and known um, kids being being literally sold for, you know, for just unspeakable things. And so um, we, we were aware of this of this place and so then um we did come to hear that Haitian social services was in fact um getting involved and were they were in the process of trying to trying to get them shut down and so um then we were contacted um by Haitian social services and they said you know this is this is going to be happening these children are going to have to be relocated and we have 20 babies that um, that we would need a place for. And so at that time, um, our nursery had this space and our, you know, our, our national staff decided that, yes, we would, we would be able to take these 20 babies. We had the staff, we had the, the cribs. And so it was something that we felt was going to be very man- manageable. And so um, we all kind of, we found out which day this was happening and that, um, you know, so we're all kind of waiting and um, waiting for, you know, to receive these babies. And so this truck pulled in to the yard and we all look at each other and <laughs> we're like, we don't see any babies, but we sure see some of our kids. And um, turns out there was 23 children in that truck, only three of which were babies. Um, and wow. then... Yeah, these older these older kids, and at this time it's getting to be evening. Um, we know that we cannot play even just by looking at them. You know, they're just the most yeah, just sad faces and just mismatched shoes and just um, whatever clothes were on their back at the time and um, just um, yeah. So we had no choice, obviously, but to to receive them and. Um, and to take them in. And so, yeah, just clear signs of malnutrition and abuse and, um, 
you know, just maybe one or two brave ones in the group manage to speak up and kind of say, okay, this is that person's name and this is that person's name. And, um, and so over time, um, our, our big goal was to, to find the biological families for these kids, just because we knew the situation at that orphanage and we knew that there was a chance that, um, their families may not even know, you know, what became of them or where they were. And so, um, just with, with the help of Haitian social services, putting out radio ads and posters and, um, just literally people going out into the community and searching and, um, and incredibly there was 13 families found and they were able to take their child back and just rejoice, you know, at, wow. at being reunited with their child. Um, and then of course, yeah, at the time, the three, the three babies and, um, we were caring for them. And then, um, so that remained 10, 10 older children. And, um, so we had, you know, we had staff that did work with the older children and they, you know, put them into their, their English classes and, you know, were doing their best to, um, just to provide for them. Um, at the, in the meantime, though, because we did process adoptions, you know, these kids are seeing their friends and their peers, you know, one by one, um, get adopted and their, you know, their adopted families come to literally pick them up and, and take them home and, um, I mean, they would straight up voice, you know, like when, when will my family come or when, you know, who's going to choose me. And, um, but at the same time, we knew that, you know, we didn't have the sufficient paperwork for them just because of the way that other orphanage was run and, um, that this probably wasn't, you know, going to be necessarily their future. But, um, but we did want to find a, a good, stable um, home for them here in Haiti where they would be cared for. And so even in my work as the adoption coordinator, I was working with, with our Haitian director and with um, Haitian social services and just, you know, trying to find, find homes for them. And um, just one by one, things would just fall through for whatever reason, things wouldn't work out. And, um, you know, they're getting older and um, a lot of the kids in our care are younger and, um, and so I, um, my good friend and colleague, Joy, she was just really passionate about, you know, where can the, where can we find a home for these kids? And, um, and so she was sitting and praying about it one night and just, you know, God, what is your plan for these kids? Where, where can they go? Where can they find a family? And she will say, um, if you talk to her, she'll say that she just heard clear as day, it's you. And, and so, yeah, it was just very clear that God was just calling her to, yeah, to take them and, and form a family with, and so, yeah, so we started just looking at, at houses and, you know, obviously (laughs) something that would house and have space for this amount of children and a yard and run around. And so we're literally going around and looking for houses and, um, yeah, and so we ended up finding just the perfect house, and she ended up getting approval from Haitian Social Services um, to, yeah, to basically take them. And so that's how Chosen and Cherished Ministries was formed. And, um, yeah, just these kids that went from, yeah, just just a, a horrific, 
background and, you know, just being um, in this situation and to, yeah, literally being chosen and cherished <laughs> and obviously That's... ultimately God because he is, yeah, he's ultimately their father and, um, you know, he's, his eye has never left them. And then, yeah, for, for Joyce to, yeah, to choose them and, you know, to take them in. So, um, so that's how Chosen and Cherished Me formed. And so, um, yeah, so I, then at that time, um, when she, when she took them and, you know, started forming this family with them, I was doing all that I could to support her. But at the same time, I was still working at the orphanage. And so, um, um, I kind of felt like my, (laughs) my, my focus was being a little bit split and kind of, um, at the same time, um, which obviously, you know, looking back, I don't, this is not a coincidence and, you know, God is sovereign and he's always working, working something out. And at the same time, I just felt the direction of things going at, at this organization, just kind of taking a different direction than maybe what I, you know, kind of had originally been passionate about there and just, yeah, just some um, kind of just different things with the leadership and just not really feeling like that was my place anymore. And yet, um, yeah, I would just be praying, you know, God, where, what's happening here? Like, am I to be staying here? Am I to be doing something different? And, um, and just, I clearly remember praying and asking him basically to release me. Um, but I never, ever felt that I got the okay from him, like to quit or to, mm-hmm. um, you know, to, to move on. And so it was, uh, yeah, just an entire year of just kind of, yeah, just seeking, you know, what can be next, but just also knowing very, very clearly that I was not to quit or walk away. Um, mm-hmm. and then, um, suddenly just completely out of the blue, the director came to me and said, um, that they were eliminating my position mm-hmm. and basically within three months, yeah, that they were releasing me. And I just remember like walking away, just thinking I have literally been praying for God to release me and those were basically the words (laughs) that came out of her mouth. And I know that that, you know, it could have been like a big blow or it could have been, you know, just kind of this devastating thing. And at the same time, it was just the total opposite. Like I just felt like that was my, my my release. And I just, the piece that just came with that was absolutely incredible. And so then, yeah. And there I was able to um, just completely, um, yeah, focus my time with, with Joyce and the kids and with that ministry. And then, um, yeah, to the point where, yeah, I am now assistant director of, of that organization. And, um, so yeah, I feel like I'm kind of, um, so in terms of, yeah, so my role now is obviously, um, yeah, just to play a huge support to Joyce. She, yeah, she raises the kids and just, um, yeah, just, troubleshooting different things with her and, you know, being, being the best support that I can. And also just being another consistent adult in, in these kids' lives. And, um, yeah, just someone that they can trust and, you know, as they, um, need, yeah, just counsel or whatever that I can be available. And, 
also just providing respite for Joyce is yes. in this, you know, 24 seven and it's, um, it's intense, you know, it's, yeah. it's not easy. And so, um, there's, yeah, one thing I do is I have to my place every Wednesday night and I cook supper for them and that gives her, you know, for sure one night off a week where she's able to just kind of just, yeah, decompress and obviously like other times as needed. Um, and yeah, for example, you know, when she needs to go to the States or whatever, then, um, then I'm the caregiver during that time. And, um, so yeah. And I also do a lot of administrative things, you know, that she doesn't, um, has have time for like her plate is full enough and that's something that I enjoy. And, you know, I like, yeah, am able to do and, so, yeah, and then also just the home that God um, provided for us, which could be, yeah, a story for another time, but um, just is right down the road from where they live. And so um, it is set up to where um, my home can be the guest house for, you know, if we have teams that come and visit that they can stay with me and I'm able to, um, yeah, just cook for them or whatever. And then we can come up with um whatever projects or, you know, that they're going to be doing during the day. And then another thing that we um, hope to do once maybe traveling starts to become a little bit more easy again, but just if, um, you know, there are adoptive families that have adopted a child from Haiti that would like to come back with their child um, just to see Haiti, you know, again, that I'm able to host them. And then with through Chosen and Cherished Ministries, we can, you know, kind of provide a little experience for them where they're able to bring their child back to see Haiti. Um, and oh, wow. that, is, that is really neat. You yeah, know, it is. Melissa, it, started. it is. That's a, it's a, it's a fun story. Um, hmm. uh, could you uh, just tell our listeners if anybody would want to, if anybody would want to come there and help with a work project or if they want to help support you or, are the, the chosen and cherished ministry itself, how would they get in touch with you? Um, yeah, so they can, um, the best thing probably would be to go to the website, which again, maybe we can link um, for listeners, but it's chosen and cherished.org. And so then um, there is information on there or yeah, they can reach out to me personally or to Joyce personally. And um yeah, we're more than happy to answer any questions or you know, any type of, of visit. And and one thing that we really want to do, if there is, you know, a team that comes down, is we very much want to work um, with their strengths. And so if we know, okay, these are people that are, you know, they're, they have electrical background or plumbing or construction or um, they just love kids or whatever it is that we can, we can make sure that they're talking and, you know, suited to their strengths and how, how they would want to serve. So mm. great. That is great. That, yeah. It's, uh, this has been so encouraging to, to visit with you and to, to see your face at the same time. It's been really <laughs> neat. Thanks for giving us this time to reconnect and, and yes. to, uh, to catch up, you know, it's, uh, it, it, it's been a fun conversation. Is there anything we haven't talked about that you were hoping to talk about? I think I just want to just, talk about how how good God is. I think that that is just a theme that I has just been so um, 
yeah, just so prevalent for me, I would say, especially in the last few years. And I, um, I, I've talked about his protection and, um, I think that, yeah, just his provision is just absolutely incredible. And I, in the, I guess, 12 years now that I've been living here, I've never, you know, I've never received any type of paycheck or anything from, from the organizations that I work with. And it's just, um, family and friends and, you know, supporters and just, it's incredible just to see how God provides through so many other people too, which I think is just so neat. And it just gives, um, yeah, there's been times where (laughs) I literally don't know how I'm, you know, going to make it. And there's been other times where, you know, it's been a little bit more abundant. And, um, and I think, yeah, in, in both of those times, it's just incredible just to see God's goodness and, um, just how then, yeah, I'm able to even just pass that on to, you know, to needs that I'm presented with here. And, um, and so, yeah, and just his sovereignty and just working things out. And, um, yeah, he's just so good. (laughs) And I can't express that enough. So Mm, that's awesome to hear. It is. I just love, I mean, the story just even of those children and how God loves God loves each human being and mm-hmm. he has a plan for each, each human being. And you're, Definitely. you're a big part of that, you know, and that is a really, really neat thing. That yeah, is. Yeah. Well, Melissa, thanks for the visit. We, uh, I think for sure we know better how to pray for you and, yes. and will be. And, uh, and, and I, if it's okay with you, I'd like to, to finish our podcast this episode anyway, by, by praying for you. Okay. Is that fine? Thank you. All right. So let's let's pray. Father, we come to you acknowledging that you alone are sovereign. There's no one like you. And we thank you for the privilege it is to be yours in Christ. We thank you, Lord, so much for Melissa, for Christina. Thank you for bringing them together and for what you're doing in their hearts. We thank you, Lord, for the way you have shown yourself sufficient and to provide for all their needs and to, to show yourself to them. Uh, in in the high times and in the, the low times. Lord, we pray that they would continue to know your favor, that mm-hmm. they would continue to grow in Christ, that they would know you as you've made them to know you, and that, uh, that you would be glorified in this is our prayer. Mm-hmm. Thank you for the time that you've given us to be with Melissa now. Thank you for your continued faithfulness in her life. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 Thanks again. Take care and stay in touch with us. Yeah, thank you guys so much. This has been wonderful. Thank you very much. All right. Thanks for doing it. Yeah, bye-bye. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of the His Hill Podcast. We want to thank Melissa for making time in her schedule to give us this interview. And here's some of the contact information for the organizations that she mentioned. The first one is Chosen and Cherished, and that can be found at chosenandcherished.org. Hope for Haiti, that can be found at hopeforhaiti.com. Missionary Flights for Internationals, and that um, website is missionaryflights.org. World Central Kitchen is found at wck.org. God's Littlest Angels can be found at glahaiti.org. 
For those who believe that the Lord would have you send support to Melissa as she serves him in Haiti, whether that be a one-time gift or regular support, you can do so in the following ways. Canadian donors can donate through the website Multi-Nation Mission Foundation and choose Melissa Friesen, that's F-R-I-E-S-E-N, on the donation page. American donors can PayPal her at melissafriesen at yahoo.ca. As I speak, our new students are arriving for the start of Bible school. Please pray for them as they make the adjustments to life on the hilltop. Remember that our Thanksgiving conference is set for November 23rd to 26th. The speakers are Zane Black and Peter Reed. The cost for the sessions are free and childcare is free. See the website for accommodation pricing. Thank you for all the messages of encouragement for this new ministry of His Hill, and please pray for us as we continue to seek the Lord in the development of the podcast. Your host has been Kelly Doherty, and I'm this episode's guest host, Arlene Doherty, reminding you to keep your eyes fixed on Jesus. Jesus.